You're listening to the Jays Journal Podcast for Monday, June the 19th. The Jays are already in Texas to take on the Rangers on a long seven-game road trip. What I like to call the purgatory of the of the schedule. Um, they'll be dealing with uh, the likes of Baltimore and New York and Houston and Boston. And needless to say, it's going to be trying times for fans of the team. So let's bring on Ben Nicholson-Smith. He is the baseball editor at Sportsnet, a podcaster and writer of all things baseball across mainstream sports media. You can find him on Roger Sportsnet. So looking ahead, Ben, we've got four games against Texas and three with the Kansas City Royals. Is there a fear in your mind that maybe the Blue Jays might be looking ahead to the Orioles, you know, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the big Houston July series? How do you gauge this upcoming road trip in terms of your expectations for the team? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good question when you look at everything that's gone on with this club and their seeming inability to take advantage of some of the weaker spots on the schedule. So you look at Oakland where they lost two of three. Same with the White Sox more recently. And those are teams that the Jays should be beating. So, yeah, I, I think that more than anything, it's just a product of baseball being unpredictable. Uh, I do think that on a day-to-day level, the Jays are focused on whoever it is that they're playing. And then sometimes it just doesn't work out. So as much as the Yankees and Red Sox and Astros pose a bigger threat to the Blue Jays, I think when they're playing the Rangers and Royals, they'll definitely be focused on those games. Well, and I certainly hope so, because I'm sure you must have been quite underwhelmed at this uh, this weekend that just ended you know, with the exception of maybe the last five innings of a Father's Day salvation project, it seemed like the whole weekend was almost dangerously close to being a write-off for the Jays against a relatively AL Central so-called power. Absolutely. I think that there were a bunch of missed opportunities on the weekend. And you look at Saturday, for example, where Marcus Stroman actually pitched reasonably well, or at least well enough to keep the Blue Jays in the game. And yet they weren't able to get anything going against Mike Pelfrey. I mean, it's one thing when you're facing someone like Jose Quintana, uh, someone who's widely regarded as maybe not an ace, but close to it, a solid number two starter. And and yet they they couldn't do anything when they're facing Mike Pelfrey the next day. And this is a guy who was released not that long ago by the Tigers, really not regarded as as anything close to an impact pitcher in the major leagues. So I I think that's going to go down as one of those games where, they, they should have been more competitive. And instead, they end up losing the series. So here we are again talking about a club that's trying to get to that 500 mark and yet still a couple of games short. You're right. And, and the statistic is, I believe now, 0 for 7 in attempts to get back uh, to that all-important perch after what was a really horrific start. I mean, the worst in, in franchise history. Is there a reason in your mind why that might be a psychological hurdle for the team? Why are they having so much trouble getting to that point, which is a validation of all the, the, the terrible things that happened in April and how they came back in May? Why is it so difficult for them to get back to 500? Yeah, that's a great question. and I don't have an answer for you on that one because it, it defies explanation. You know, you look at a club that you would expect they would win about half their games, maybe a little more by the time they got healthy this year. And yet in those specific situations, they haven't come up with a single win. So to me, I don't think it's a reflection of a lack of focus, or I don't think it's a reflection of anything other than the fact that they dug themselves such a big hole. And inevitably, when they started 2-11, they fell to 6-17, 
that's a really big hole. And so at that point, they were going to have to make up some ground. And it was probably going to take a while. Here we are approaching the end of June, and they're still not there. I'm speaking with Ben Nicholson-Smith. He's a sportscaster and baseball editor with Sportsnet. Ben, which Blue Jays player to this point in the season has impressed you the most? I'll go with Justin Smoke. I think that he's impressed a lot of people in the game just because Mm. of what he's been able to do offensively. And unlike Josh Donaldson, for example, even a Marcus Stroman, Roberto Asuna, those guys had already established a high baseline of expected and they are meeting that expectation this year. What Smoke has done is reset expectations and surpass expectations. And, and I think that, that to me has been one of the really impressive storylines this season. And unlike some players, you look at a guy like Kevin Pillar, who was really hot in the month of April and carried mm-hmm. that into the beginning of May, well, he's dropped off. And that's understandable. He's still a good defensive player. He's probably going to go through another hot streak at some point. But Smoke has really consistently been an elite-level offensive player. And as much as he's always had that potential, I had come around to the point that I didn't think it was going to happen for Justin Smoke. And here we are watching it unfold at the highest level. And and it's also interesting that it happened after the Blue Jays were able to secure him at roughly, I think, $4 million a year which is astonishing because it gives the club control over a player who suddenly has figured it out. What do you, what do you attribute that to, by the way, that he figured it out? Was it really just a case of rebuilding or working on the mechanics of a swing or maybe the fear of knowing that had he not demonstrated any kind of success, sustained success, he'd be a a bench player for the rest of his baseball career. That definitely would have been the outcome for smoke. And he was heading toward that path. Yeah, it's pretty amazing with Justin Smoke, what he has been able to do. And it's just as hard to explain because you look at a guy who seems destined to go on the bench, and yet here he is producing at a super high level. So one thing that you can point to is his strikeout rate. His strikeout rate has really fallen off, and he's making more contact. But I don't know if that's a satisfying explanation for everything that's happened with Justin Smoke. He just looks like such a different hitter up there from the right side, from the left side. He's been so productive. So, yeah, you can point to the strikeout rate. You can point to the spike in power. But I don't know exactly where it all stems from. Either way, he's having a phenomenal year. No doubt. No doubt. And I think many fans are are nodding in agreement listening to this and realizing that smoke is probably on everyone's the top of everyone's list. Now I'm wondering, let's reverse it. If I were to ask you, Ben, who's disappointed you the most relative to expectations, is the answer going to surprise me? Probably not. I, I think that, you know, on a team that's below 500, you're going to have your, your choice um, of a few players here, case in Toronto. I mean, you look at a guy like Jay Happ, no fault of his own, but he was injured and really hasn't produced as much as expected. Same with Aaron Sanchez, same with Francisco Liriano, whose ERA is over five. All three of those guys could be candidates. And if you want to look on the offensive side, I think Torchula Whiskey's got to be in that conversation because he, too, dealt with an injury. And even when he's been on the field, I know it's just a little bit more than 100 at-bats so far this season, but the production hasn't been there. And he doesn't look like an impact player anymore. He doesn't even look like a, a very productive offensive player based on what we've seen so far. So even though we should probably expect some kind of a turnaround from Tulewitzki, the results so far would definitely count as disappointing. 
you and I definitely are like-minded on that subject. Uh, if if I were to offer you my answer, it would definitely be Troy Tulowitzki, which which really is really unfortunate because we understand his pedigree and, and a level of, comp- of of competition that he's used to, and I fear that he is really being relegated to this level of ambivalence with fans at this point. I think the ones that are those meta cheers of of Tulo in in the at the Rogers Center getting quieter and quieter and, and primarily because of his lack of production. I think he's at two home runs and and is hitting, you know, fifty points or sixty points below his average. It's been now pretty long and you'll agree. We're not talking about a few months. He's been here long enough. What what are you returned to form or at least be a little better than what he's been lately? I think he can be a little better than what he's been. I also think that to expect or even hope for the kind of production that he showed off in Colorado is unrealistic and only going to lead to disappointment. When you look at Tulowitzki and what he has done in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform, he has provided some power. Last year, I think it was 24 home runs. And that's the main source of his offensive value, is he's going to give you some power. He's not an on-base machine. He's not going to hit for a particularly high batting average at this point in his career when he hits so many balls on the ground and when he's lost some foot speed. So, you're not getting the batting average. You're not getting the on-base percentage. What you will get is some power. So that's my expectation for Tulowitzki is that he's someone who can probably be a, a respectable offensive player, especially considering his position, and hold his own defensively. So that's that's a good player. I, I don't think that's a star player. I don't think that's a superstar yeah. player. But that's a good player and someone that the Blue Jays are going to need to produce. Well, and someone we can also agree they'll be in some ways forced to work with. Um, given the the nature of his contract and how difficult uh, it will be to even consider even trading him down the road. I'm speaking with Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet. Ben, Devin Travis may not return this year, uh, or at least that's what we're hearing after his knee surgery. Should the team pursue a midseason replacement, or do you think they can ride it out with this Goins-Barney defensive golden gambit, if you will? Not much at the plate, but plenty in the field. To me, I think they should absolutely look and see what they can get at second base. I think you have to look outside the organization. And I'd be surprised if that process hasn't already started because you look at the kind of offensive production that you can expect from Barney and Goins, and it's pretty low. Even when you adjust for what other second basemen are doing in Major League Baseball, okay, the the bar isn't quite as high as it would be at first base or in right field. But you still got to get something there. And when you look at this club and you look at the potential ways that they can upgrade, either offensively, defensively, on the pitching staff, I think one of the biggest areas where they can potentially upgrade is offensively at second base. If you look mm-hmm. at guys like a Howie Kendrick, like a Jed Lowry, those guys give you more offensively. And by no stretch are they elite offensive players, but they are steady producers with long track records. And I think for that reason... They're probably guys that you would want to consider if you're the Toronto Blue Jays heading into the July trading frenzy. Mm-hmm. That'll definitely be an interesting development for fans, depending again on whether or not the team uh, should consider itself a buyer or a seller. What's your What's your gut instinct at this stage in the game, in the season, telling you, Ben, do you think the Blue Jays will be buyers or will they be sellers? So I think the standings essentially answer that question for them. So... Mm-hmm. I think they want to be buyers. That's pretty clear. That's plan A for any organization. 
So that, that's what they want to do. They want to be buyers. But if they are two, three, four games under 500 a month from now, and the standings remain as muddied as they are with as many teams in the playoff picture in the American League, then I don't see how you can justify adding, especially if it means giving up pretty decent pieces from future teams, prospects, potentially trading away um, any kind of asset, big league assets, minor league assets, anything that might weaken your future team. I don't think that's a good decision if you're under 500. So to me, they have to get to 500. They have to get over 500. And then if they're over, even if it's just by a little bit, then it's much easier to justify trading away a prospect or two, trading away future pieces, taking on salary, all those different things in an attempt to get better in the present. Well, and it's especially interesting to note that the team has been relying on trying in the homegrown resources to fill in for for injured starters, for example. Like we, we've already seen Daryl Siciliani, unfortunate injury after that amazing home run. Uh, we've seen a few, you know, a few moments of Anthony Alford, now Dwight Smith Jr. Ben, which prospect, if there is one prospect that you believe will stick, if the Jays should call that prospect up down the stretch, who will stick with this team that you could see actually finishing the season rather than this turnstile from double and triple A? Well, I think Anthony Alford has the the biggest upside of the guys that they've called up so far. So even though he's still recovering from that broken handmade phone, he's got a shot to impress this team. And right now, Steve Pierce will be the guy getting the bulk of the at-bats in left field. So there's not a clear need on this team for another outfielder. But as we've seen, there are ways for guys to create opportunities for themselves, even guys who weren't expected to stick around very long. You look around baseball at guys like Cody Bellinger and Ian Happ who come up for the Dodgers and Cubs and find ways to ensure that they're going to be in the lineup whether or not they were expected to be there at the beginning of the season. So the same applies to Alford in the sense that he did get a short opportunity, and I think that at some point, maybe not this year, but next year potentially, he's going to get that shot and he's going to leave a, a pretty lasting impression on people who watch the Blue Jays a lot. I hope so. I really do. Um, he's also endured his own form of adversity. He, I think it was his parents' home that was uh, lost in a fire. Um, yes. A lot of adversity and, and not at a stage in his professional career where he's making millions of dollars to be able to deal with that. So to see him succeed and maybe eventually get to a point where he could stick with the club and be given that kind of million-dollar contract, I think, is something for people who followed him in the minors and know what kind of a potential five-tool guy he could be that could really have a, a happy ending. Ben, I'm wondering, and I, I just thought of this as we're, as we're talking about the Jays today and, and how far and they, might, they may go, what their chances are. We're, we're in year two of this new Blue Jays regime. I think you'll agree. My question to you is, has Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, have they done enough to differentiate themselves now from the Alex Anthopoulos era, or are we still feeling too, much of, you know, too many of the remnants of that time and those decisions? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think at this point they're pretty closely intertwined. And I think the Anthopolis era was ultimately a successful one. Uh, They certainly took their time getting to the point that they were in 2015 where they really pushed those chips in and went for it. And they paid a lot for uh, those acquisitions that they made in 2015, trading 11 pitching prospects to acquire guys like Tulo and David Price. But Ultimately, they made it to the playoffs and they laid the foundation for the 2016 team 
that ended up returning there and making it to the ALCS. So to me, I look at the work that Anthopolis did as, as ultimately successful. And at this point, it, you know, it's really almost at that midpoint where this isn't fully, fully a Shapiro and Atkins-built team, but it's also been long enough that they have had the chance to make changes and to establish a different tone. I think that we're going to see a lot more changes, though, in the next couple of years. And this team needs to get younger. There's no question about that. They need to get more athletic. I think they need to get deeper, too. And it's not lost on the Blue Jays' front office that change is coming. They're, they're going to welcome it. And we're going to see a lot of, a lot of different players coming, coming up to Toronto and coming through the ranks here because mm-hmm. there's really no way around it. This is the oldest team in Major League Baseball, and you look at a game that's going pretty young, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And so we are going to see some changes. Oh, I, I think I, I not only agree with you, but you've made me appreciate more just what kind of an almost transitory period it is in some respects. Wouldn't you say it's, it's not quite the team Shapiro really wants necessarily, but one that he can kind of live with? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably some truth to that. I think at the same time, any major league season that you play and any – group of players that you have that includes a Josh Donaldson, a Sanchez, a Stroman, you've got to take advantage of that. And I, and I think the Blue Jays see that and they see the talent that they have assembled and they say, all right, well, hey, this might not be a perfect team. We might be a little too old. We might be a little too slow. Their team defense isn't very good. You can list the, the problems with this team very easily, but and especially after, especially after a, a trying two months, it's easy to see those problems. But we also have to remember that going into this year, there were a lot of reasons that people were excited about the Blue Jays. So they do have a lot of talent on this team. Some of it's young, some of it's older. Either way, they have some really good players. They have an MVP candidate in Donaldson. This is a group that has a lot of the ingredients needed to contend. And, and so that's where you get the push and pull. And that's why this team hasn't, hasn't separated itself from the 500. Because for every positive, you have a negative. And they're hoping that changes so far. But to this point in the season, it's been pretty even. Speaking with Ben Nicholson-Smith, baseball editor at Sportsnet. Ben, I interviewed Todd Stottlemyre earlier in the year. I actually spoke with him a second time. He was nice enough to come on my show back in the winter and then again a few months ago. And he talked, I think, rather extensively about the pitching culture and how it's changed since his era with the Blue Jays. Um, I think you recall John Smoltz also had his concerns about what he described as pitchers being set up to fail you know, issues about supplements and conditioning and the way pitchers are managed. I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on the era of pitching and the staggering number of injuries that we've seen to starters in particular in what's been an unprecedented question marks and frustrations? Yeah, the p- pitching usage goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, injuries in the game and DL stints going up around the game. I-, I think that some teams use the DL, well, it- it's pretty much not even up for debate, the teams use the DL differently than they ever have before. Right now you have the 10-day DL that almost almost functions as a taxi squad type of roster spot, almost yeah. a 26th or 27th type of roster spot. The teams use it that way to create a little bit of flexibility when guys aren't, I'm not going to say they're not hurt, but I'm going to say that they aren't hurt in the same way that guys on the DL were hurt 15 years ago or 30 years ago. It's just It's just used in a different way. So with that, you have teams expanding their bullpens. You have some teams even expanding their starting locations. You look at the Dodgers, the Braves right now have a six-man rotation. The Blue Jays had a six-man rotation last year. 
So you have these massive pitching staff, and then you have guys cycling in and out too, from the 10-day DL on it, off it, doing a rehab start, and then coming back in. So really the number of pitchers that you have in the game is expanding. The number of really, really good ones is probably the same as it ever was. You, you can't create those guys out of thin air. The John Smoltz's of the world either exist on your roster or they don't. And so teams, in trying to get as much production as they can, often cycle yeah. through the next tier of guys, mm-hmm. and you end up seeing a lot of churn as a result. And, of course, it's, it's always fascinating to hear it from a former pitcher's perspective at that. And uh, as I have other guest Blue Jays come on the show, former Blue Jays and maybe some present Blue Jays, it'll be interesting to see whether this team, in front of its fans, can have those five starters that they had penciled in from day one all in the rotation. And it seems like we're getting close to that. What are your expectations? Will the Blue Jays be able to at least have a fighting chance to go after a division middle or wildcard spot with all five of the pitchers that you expected to be there from day one? I think so. And it's going to hinge on how Sanchez's finger responds to the next bullpen session and, and the next uh, live batting practice session uh, scheduled to take place in the next week or so. If he does respond well to that, then he's that much closer to getting back. And at that point, you can move Biagini, maybe to the road, maybe to the bullpen, maybe he even goes to AAA. I think the bullpen, personally, is, is the most likely option for Biagini. But either way, you would have five starters, five really good starters at that point. And that was the foundation of the Blue Jays' success last year. It wasn't offense. It really was that starting pitching. And so to get those guys back would really bring the Blue Jays that much closer to having a legitimate shot at getting back into this playoff picture as a real contender. It almost makes me want to ask you, what was more surprising to you? This year's spate of injuries and how it just seems to be never-ending, or last year's immaculate health in which the Blue Jays were able to benefit from just unbelievable consistency from the starters being available to pitchers? Yeah, that's another that's another really good question, and I think that the answer is actually pretty easy because we're not surprised when guys stay healthy, even if we should be, and mm. we are surprised when guys get hurt, even if we shouldn't be. And so this year they've they've had all these injuries, and we do end up feeling surprised every time someone goes on the DL. When in reality, you think about the rigors of this game, you think about all of the stress they put their bodies through probably shouldn't be all that surprising when someone needs 10 days and, and ends up taking a stint on the DL. Well, Ben, I can't thank you enough for your, for your insight and analysis today. I'm sure my listeners really appreciate hearing it from someone who's very close to the team. Can you give maybe some of my uh, followers and fans a, a heads up on maybe some things you're working on in terms of uh, anything that you published or that you'll be podcasting in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, for sure. And first of all, thanks for having me, Ari. It's a, it's a pleasure to join your show. Um, as for what kind of work I'd be doing and where to find it, uh, most of it you can find through my Twitter page, which is at Smith. And then I host, co-host a uh, podcast as well, uh, At The Letters with Arden Swelling uh, from Sportsnet as well. So that is on iTunes. Uh, Sportsnet.ca being the destination for any sort of writing that I might do. And if anyone is interested and checks it out, that would be that'd be phenomenal. Ben, I'm certainly looking forward to having you come back on the show in the days to come. Thank you for your time. Sounds great. Looking forward to it.